0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things Food Network with your favorite Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have a trained percussionist turned food blogger with us to talk about her journey from Juilliard to James Beard nominee, her sprinkle collection, and what it's like to move from New York City to a sugar beet farm on the North Dakota-Minnesota border. She's the creator of the award-winning blog, My Name is Ye, cookbook author, Musician, the host of Girl Meets Farm, and the brand new competition show, Ben and Jerry's Clash of the Cones. It's Molly yay Molly, welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you. How are you doing today? Thanks, Jamie. I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day on the farm. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Well, speaking of which, I feel like if a person were, were a melting pot, it would be you. You are Chinese, Jewish, Juilliard-trained percussionist turned professional food blogger. You're living on a sugar beet farm on the North Dakota-Minnesota border with your husband. Honestly, it kind of sounds like the plot of a romantic comedy. Does it feel that way to you sometimes? That's how I planned it. I um, <laughs> I was born and I was like, I think I
1: just want to live out a real-life romantic comedy, so i I'm just going to do all these things for that exact reason.
0: <laughs> well, you are living out your dream and this uh, you know, diversity of influences can certainly be felt in the recipes on your award-winning blog, My Name is Ye, that you started in 2009. Let's go back to that point. What was the spark that made you write that first entry? I have always loved documenting
1: and I have kept diaries since the day I could write. I have all of these little Hello Kitty journals that... <laughs> I kept from I don't know the time I was like six or seven, and I would write about drama that happened at school or <laughs> boys I had crushes on, and I was just always into the style of diary keeping that I would see in in magazines, and, and I don't know if you remember those books, um, Amelia's Notebook. <laughs> they were just like they were really fun and conversational, and there were adorable pictures that went with. The diary entries. And so I kept these diaries just continuously. And as digital cameras became popular, I started taking a lot of pictures and printing them out and cutting out magazine cutouts and making these scrapbooks, which I still have somewhere. My husband has all these (laughs) fireproof safes that he puts documents from the farm in and he put all my diaries in there. Anyway, so when blogs became popular. I was in college and I was away from my family and I and I started reading all these great little diary-esque blogs and I thought wow what a really cool and easy way to pair pictures with diary entries and then share them with my family. Because really until then, I thought, well, no one's ever gonna read my diaries. No one's gonna read my scrapbooks. No one's gonna care. Maybe if I bury them in my backyard in a million years, aliens will find them and maybe they'll be able to decipher them and understand them. But when the rise of the internet gave way to these blogs, I thought, what a cool medium. So I started the blog as just an extension of my diaries and it was a way to keep in touch with family family and friends and keep track of my adventures in New York. And it very quickly became clear that all I wanted to write about, all I wanted to document and take pictures of was food. (laughs) It was restaurants in New York. It was food trucks. It was the schnitzel truck. That was my Favorite place to go for lunch. And it just sort of snowballed from there.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it makes sense because I mean you do treat your blog like your diary. You have your signature all lowercase style, the cheery tone of voice that we're that we're hearing right now. But what was the turning point where it went from just being a blog to to really being a business?
1: It was when I moved to Grand Forks, North Dakota. So this is confusing. But so I, I live in East Grand Forks, Minnesota it's right on the border with Grand Forks, North Dakota. When we, when Nick, my husband, and I first moved out here, we lived downtown in Grand Forks, North Dakota, until we moved out to the farm to East Grand Forks, Minnesota. So that's just your geography lesson for the day. But I'm from, I'm from Montana. So I'm I'm vaguely. You get it. Yeah, <laughs> okay, you, you know, this, this region. So when we moved to Grand Forks, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. I didn't. I I had a job at the bakery in town. But other than that, I had a lot of alone time because we moved back right before Nick went to harvest. And harvest is very time intensive. So he was away for these 18 hour days. And I was working from midnight to like 5am. I couldn't really find that much to do in town because the town is like, it's, um, if you can imagine like Stars Hollow from Gilmore Girls, it's very small. And of course it's, you know, it's not like New York where there are restaurants to, to try every single day. All I wanted to do was, was work on my blog and work on recipe development and improve my photos and, and network with other bloggers, learn how to do a Pinterest board, like learn all of these components that went into a blog Before we moved here, I had wanted to do all of that, but it wasn't until we got here that I felt the focus and the energy and that I had all of the resources and the time Mm -hmm. to do that. I spent just so much time alone in my little apartment in Grand Forks, North Dakota, working on my photos, learning Lightroom, learning all of these components of a blog post, learning how to promote them. And so it was it was within a few months of moving here that I felt like, okay, this is this is something that I can treat more seriously as my job. I can work less hours at the bakery I can put more resources into my blog. And that's when it, it actually started to
0: feel like a job. Do you remember like the specific recipe that really kind of skyrocketed things? I
1: think one of the first recipes that remains one of my favorite recipes that got a lot of traction on Pinterest. That's how I measured things in, yes. in those days. It got a lot of repins was an entire loaf of challah. That I pretzled and it was ah. so tasty. There was this time period right when I moved to town where I was like, I ordered a bottle of food grade lye, which if you don't handle it correctly, you can really hurt yourself. <laughs> you can like burn your esophagus. It comes in this box with with like a skull and crossbones on it, and wow. you have to yeah, you can't you can't touch it with your hands. You have to wear gloves. You have to wear protective eyewear. And and I was pretzeling all these things. I was pretzeling pot stickers, and I was pretzeling pie, and I was just. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) dipping all these foods in lye and then I would eat them. And at one point, I really did think that I injured my esophagus. I think that was when I made the pies, but I've since recovered. (laughs) It was the pretzel holla that it all lined up for me. The recipe looked good. The photo came out the way that I wanted it to. And then I pinned it to the right Pinterest boards and, and it got some... Some
0: traffic. It is so fascinating the things that that really take off uh, on Pinterest and get traffic. And you have such such a fascinating background. I mean, you grew up in Illinois. You are the daughter of two clarinetists. Partially true. So that's part my my Wiki, If you know anybody
1: at Wikipedia, uh, okay. this is this is an edit that I haven't figured out how to edit. But so my um so my dad's a clarinetist. My okay. stepmom's a clarinetist. Ah, uh, okay. My mom is a social worker. Everybody in my family loves food. But I am yes, I am from. Illinois.
0: Okay. Okay. So that part is correct. Um, and as you mentioned, you you moved to New York. You attended Juilliard. You got your your bachelor's in percussion. So I, I'm guessing you know music was very much a part of of your your household growing up. Is, is that what kind of inspired you to to go that route initially?
1: Yes, I. Grew up waking up early on Sunday mornings to my dad teaching clarinet lessons for better or for worse. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, on one end I was woken up really early, but on the other hand, I was I was surrounded by music. I listened to him practice for hours every day. I I went to his concerts. I grew up going to this magical place outside of Chicago called Ravinia, which is where the Chicago Symphony plays their concerts in the summers and. And I would listen to classical music. Play a recording of my dad playing the Mozart clarinet concerto was playing in the delivery room when I was born. So literally, the first thing that I heard was (laughs) was classical music. And for for like a lot of my childhood, I was like thinking, I really would rather be listening to Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears. (laughs) And what is it, (laughs) right? It wasn't until, I think, eighth grade that I learned how rewarding it is to practice music and and to learn about these great works in history and and to go down and, and see my dad's concerts downtown. That's when I think I really realized how lucky I was to be able to grow up around all of this music and I had an amazing youth orchestra outside of Chicago called Midwest Young Artists, where I I learned to play all of these amazing works. And and I met so many friends and it was just it it, it was amazing. I was so into it. It was just, you know, when you're a teen and super hormonal and and you want to listen to this intense, romantic orchestra music.
0: It was all I wanted to do. It was it, it was such a fun upbringing. And why, why percussion specifically? What, what was it about that? Hitting stuff.
1: You can hit stuff. You get to hit stuff and make music out of it. And and I I, I was so into it. I didn't understand why anybody wouldn't want to play percussion. I, I always knew that that was the instrument that I was going to play. And it fit my personality so well because I could practice one instrument. And if I ever got bored of it, I could go to another instrument. Because percussion is infinite amount of instruments. It's literally anything that you hit. So so I never had the option to get bored because there was always another instrument to play. And I think that's why I was really into blogging too, because there are so many components to it. There's the photography, there's the recipe development, there's the writing. And I am the type of person that needs to focus on one thing, and then I'll get bored of it for a little bit, and then I'll go to the next thing. And I just... I needed a lot of different tasks to do.
0: Was food a huge part of your life growing up as well? Or is that something that you kind of fell in love with later on?
1: Yeah. In the same way that I was surrounded by music growing up, I was also surrounded by food, my mom is an amazing cook, an amazing baker. I was very picky growing up. I went through a mac and cheese phase. I went through an oatmeal phase. I didn't really eat a lot of vegetables until I was an adult. But when I moved to New York to go to college, I just became enamored with this re- this world of restaurants. And and then I also, when I got my first apartment, I just it just felt natural to me to to spend an afternoon baking, just like I would if I was at home with my mom. And so I would call her up for all of our family recipes and such. But yeah, like growing up, food was always seen as this celebratory, joyous, Thing. We would always look forward to the next. We would be like eating one meal, talking about what our next meal was going to be. <laughs>
0: and
1: and, it, and then it was also seen as, as a way to to show people that you care. If somebody was, if a friend of ours was going through a happy time or a sad time or a celebratory time, it was always, okay, what are we going to bake them? Food was such a joyous thing in our house.
0: Food and music. Uh, do you have a, a style of music that you listen to while you're cooking? These
1: days, I've really gotten into um, older Yeah, like fifties. I don't Elvis.
0: I really love that. And the Beach Boys, I
1: have no idea where it came
0: from. I feel like that seems very on brand for some reason. (laughs) It got really difficult to keep up with a lot of the new music coming out. So I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to go backwards. Well, while you were in New York, you met your husband, who is also a musician. In addition to being the fifth generation beat farmer, you both, as you mentioned, then moved to the North Dakota, Minnesota border, as we've covered, and you're working on his family farm. So what is a typical day on the farm like for you? A lot of my day could happen anywhere. You know, I I work on the internet,
1: I sit behind a computer, either writing books or recipes or blog posts. And so, you know, I could be working from New York, I could be working from LA, whatever. But what's different about living on a farm is that then, you know, at the end of the day, I'll drive out to Nick and, and go and visit him during wheat harvest and and ride on the tractor sitting next to him while he harvests wheat and, and we'll, we'll eat a sandwich for dinner. So it's sort <laughs> of, and and of course, like just being able to look out my window and see the farm fields is energizing. It's very relaxing to me. And it's beautiful. I kind of feel like I'm in one big practice room as if I were back in music school. Just I, I can focus here. So while a lot of my work doesn't necessarily have to happen on a farm, you know, whether it's recipe development or working on my computer, it's the surroundings on the farm that give me the energy and um, and the inspiration really to work as long as I can. <laughs> <laughs> Do you miss New York at all? I miss the pizza. I miss the bagels. <laughs> I miss those hand pulled noodles from Jian yes. famous
0: foods. But it seems like you you've really found you know your your happy place there on the farm and especially now that there's things like gold belly that will send you the true. bagels yeah there, there you go you can still get up well you mentioned your recipe development and we get to see you know your kitchen on the show which is this you know pastel retro dream with lots of personality I think that's why I, I feel like the you know listening to the 50s music kind of makes sense for you it is a a true representation of who you are as a person. How important is color to you in your everyday life and your recipes? I just have so much fun with it. I love to be creative. uh,
1: Creativity is, is something that comes first for me in my work. And so to have a palette, so to speak, of different colors, <laughs> um, whether they're naturally colored foods or artificially colored foods. I, I, I love the visual aspect of it. And I don't know if that comes from uh, you know coming up in, in a social media driven world, just sort of seeing that a lot of those colorful foods are really eye-catching to photos Or if it's just me, it's kind of at this point, it's hard to separate what came first, the the desire for all of the colorful foods or the photos. I do know that I have tons of fun with it. It is something that if, you know, if I had a free day, I would probably take Bernie into the kitchen and just have a lot of fun with frosting and sprinkles and cake. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, speaking of sprinkles, uh, we have to talk about your sprinkle collection. Do you you pick up sprinkles like everywhere you go? Like, how do you how do you?
1: They're the best souvenirs. They're amazing because they fit in a suitcase really easily. They don't go bad. You don't have the risk of it's not like it's not liquid. Yeah, it's not liquid. But the coolest part about it is that you can go to another country and go to their regular everyday grocery store and find the one brand of generic sprinkles. Like the French version of Betty Crocker will have that one rainbow mix of sprinkles hidden in in the baking aisle. And they're different. They're different colors. They're different shapes. They come in different packaging. And to a French baker, it's probably like, oh, yeah, those are just super normal. Why would you want to buy those? But to a foreigner, it's really cool to see. And so I've collected like these generic brands of sprinkles from different countries and they're like really cheap and really small and they fit in the suitcase. <laughs> and then nobody else in East Grand Forks, Minnesota, has them. Uh do you
0: do you have favorite ones that, that you can think of off the top of your head?
1: I love any sprinkle that's naturally colored. I love like the the muted tones, nothing too bright. Although there is a time and a place for the bright sprinkles, but in general my uh, fallback sprinkle is something that is naturally colored and a muted rainbow palette.
0: If you could give any anyone out there, you know, who's thinking about starting a blog or you know, being in the food media space, what what advice would you give that person? Be yourself.
1: I know that sounds so cliche, but the little I believe that it's the little things about people's day-to-day lives that really can be special. So it might be super mundane to you that you had cinnamon toast for breakfast, but I don't know what that cinnamon toast looks like. And I kind of want to see, did you have salted butter? Did you have unsalted butter? How toasted do you like it? To- I don't know, just like these little everyday things. I love to see the inside of people's spaces where they work, where they live and breathe. And I love reading people's blogs who are just genuinely themselves because everybody is one of a kind. And each experience going through life is so unique and there are so many beautiful things about it. And, and I think that focusing on little things and not trying to be somebody that you're not is what can make readers feel like they have a new friend. Like they're learning about somebody on, you know, the other side of the world or whatnot and put in the work. For me, when I moved out here, I just I made the decision that I was going to work seven days a week as many hours as I could until it really got to a point where I was comfortable with it. And I don't know, maybe that's the recipe for burnout. But for me, (laughs) putting in the hours was really important. There's no easy route to it. It, it. it should be hard. There should be a lot of learning experiences and the hours are are what are going to make a blog successful.
0: Well, we see that certainly on your blog and definitely on your show on Food Network, uh, Girl Meets Farm. It, it is very wholesome. It's whimsical, but it's also very practical and delicious. How, how would you describe your cooking style and, and the recipes on the show?
1: It's food that I just genuinely love to eat. <laughs> That's important. Yeah. But yeah. Check, check box number one. It's food that I feel like I can tell a story through. Of course, my influences, I'm heavily influenced by my Chinese and Jewish heritage, by Nick's Scandinavian heritage and the Midwest surroundings, our travels, and, and just food that we feel really passionate about. And so everything that I make, I want there to be a reason that I'm make it. I don't necessarily want to make recipes that can be found in a bunch of other places online unless there's a very specific reason, unless there's a specific technique that I want to focus on or a specific ingredient that might be slightly different than the expected. I, I want there to be a reason that that this recipe would take up space in the world, whether it's to tell a story or talk about an ingredient that might not necessarily be typically used in this dish or just celebrate a holiday in a unique way or celebrate an aspect of of my heritage or Nick's heritage, Bernie's heritage, I guess. And also uh, really just dive into the cuisine of the Midwest, the upper Midwest specifically, which is very different than the cuisine of Chicago that I grew up with and show it to the world because it's so good. It's so comforting and crave worthy. And when I moved here, I learned about so many new dishes that I was shocked that people outside of the Upper Midwest didn't know about, like um, like hot dish or cookie salad. Or uh, there's this soup called Nefla soup, which is this creamy potato dumpling soup that is everything you want in the winter. I'm obsessed with it. I had to know about cookie salad. What what is cookie salad? Cookie salad is this magical, it's fudge stripe cookies crushed up and mixed with Jello instant vanilla pudding that you make with buttermilk. So you got that tanginess. And cool whip. and then you and then there are different variations with the fruit. So I like canned mandarin oranges. Um, some people put bananas in it. I don't like bananas. some people will put uh, like crushed pineapple. my mother-in-law puts mini rainbow marshmallows in it. it. Nothing about it is a salad but it's so good. I think if people I think if you get past the fact that it's called a salad, and that it doesn't have vegetables in it. And you look at look at it more of like a trifle. That
0: makes more sense. You might warm up to it. When we come back, Molly's talking all about Girl Meets Farm and the new competition she's hosting called Ben and Jerry's Clash of the Cones. Obviously, you you had a a ton of success as as a blogger, which we we've covered how is filming the show different from your your blogging process? There's a lot more people involved. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, which is really cool. I, I love working with people and having a whole crew come to my house and pile in. And there's somebody for every job. With blogging, for a long time at the beginning, it was, I'm going to be styling, I'll, I'll, I'll prepping the recipe, styling the recipe, setting up my lighting setup and doing the photos and editing the photos. And at the end of the day, I would just be totally wiped out. But with the show, it's just so cool to see each different crew member be experts in their specific field. Um, like there's the lighting expert and there's the sound expert and there's the the camera crew and um, and then there are these food stylists who just make everything look so pretty and we've become this family and and everybody I don't know everybody knows each other so well and we hang out on the weekends sometimes and and I love seeing them they actually just got back here yesterday for filming we start filming again tomorrow it's like they never left (laughs) <laughs> it's, so, it's just so lovely hanging out with them all day. And I don't know, it really is like a family. It sounds so mushy, but they're incredible at what they do. And I love spending time with them
0: no i love I love hearing that. You know we, we had we had Valerie on, we had Cartier on. They, they they said the same thing. you know, it's just it's just this huge family. and and obviously, that's important when you're, you know inviting all these people into your home. Uh, that's that's very important. I, I also love just how candid you are, you know, about mistakes that happen in the kitchen uh, because obviously they do, and that's just that's just life. how How did you learn to kind of take those in stride? I think I've I've never been a person to like
1: really take mistakes seriously.
0: Sometimes it's a good
1: thing, sometimes it's a bad thing, but I'm I'm naturally really good at kind of shrugging things off and if I'm not then then Nick, my husband is like so good at talking me out of them. <laughs> so, um I don't know, for me there's just not a whole lot that a big bowl of ramen at the end of the day and some good reality TV can't totally <laughs> fix. But you know, yeah, mistakes happen and you learn from them. It's always a learning experience. If you make a mistake with a cake, you can always just throw it in a milkshake and it's still going to taste good.
0: <laughs> I mean, you mentioned your husband, your daughter, your family and friends, a huge part of the show, whether you're, you know, cooking for a get together, whether they're joining you in the kitchen, how important is it to you to, to share your food with those that you love? I mean, that's why I do it,
1: right? Like, there's no point in in cooking if you can't feed it to people you love and and see their faces. Like, seeing Bernie's face the first time she had freshly baked bread was just such a magical experience. I do remember she had her, her very first ice cream cone last year at South Beach Food and Wine with Duff at his, like, ice cream social event. Mm -hmm. and just it's like the facial expression seeing the face that's that's what it's all about like that's the follow-through that's the grand finale and so yeah like it's it's so fulfilling to me to to cook and bake for other people but it starts with them like it starts with okay what would bernie like what would nick like for his birthday what kind of taco have i not made him for his birthday yet and then and then i have my time to make it and then just seeing the look on his face when he eats it is it seals the deal it's (laughs) the best
0: does bernie uh, like joining you in the kitchen war or getting out on the farm Honestly, both. She loves both. She,
1: she loves going to visit Nick during wheat harvest. It's wheat harvest right now. And she knows the difference between a combine and a tractor, which wow. I still don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but she also loves cake decorating and throwing the sprinkles on whatever we're making or mixing up batter. Or she's, you know, what she's learned already is how to clean as she goes. So she's wow. very good at wiping down surface. She gets that from her grandma. Isn't she,
0: she's only like two, right? She's, t-
1: she's almost two and a half and okay. she cleans better than I do. She knows more <laughs> about the farm than I do. I don't know. This this trial is going to take over the world, I think.
0: What What is her full name?
1: Her name is Bernadette Rosemary Yeh Hagen. And um, Bernadette is, it comes from Nick's great, great grandpa Berndt who came over from Norway and started the farm. And then my great-grandpa Bernard on my mom's side, who came over from Hungary. So whether she was a boy or a girl, she probably would have been Bernie. (laughs) I like Bernadette better, so I'm glad she was a girl. And then Rosemary was my mom's mom's name. And also one of my favorite herbs. It was in my wedding bouquet. So that's her name. I hope she never wants to be Bernadette because I just love Bernie (laughs)
0: It's so cute. I love it. I feel like it, it, it fits for sure. You guys have chickens on the farm. Are are eggs a staple in the house? Yep, for sure. We love eggs, both of course in baking and
1: cooking, and just eating a good scrambled egg with really buttery toast
0: <laughs> and ketchup. I, I know you. I know you. You jokingly call your husband Egg Boy on the blog when you guys were first dating. For those who don't know, where where did that come from? Nick is naturally very tall. And very skinny, like some would say
1: scrawny. He's very, no matter how much he eats, he's so skinny. He wanted uh, to bulk up. When we had first started dating, he wanted to like, you know, get muscly. I think the kids call it swole these days. I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just learned that word. Um, but and uh, he read in an issue of like a men's health magazine that in order to bulk up for one of his movies, Zac Efron ate a dozen eggs every day, or something gross like that. <laughs> and so Nick thought, well, maybe that's the secret. Maybe
0: I can eat a dozen eggs every day. I look like Zach Efron. <laughs> it
1: looks like Zach Efron. Yeah. So, uh, so that's when we first started dating. He was eating just tons of eggs, and he would make this thing that was kind of like a scrambled egg, but he didn't want to dirty up a bowl before pouring them in the pan. So he would just crack the eggs directly into the pan. He would cook the living daylights out of them. And he wouldn't add salt. He would just dump a bunch of dried basil on them. It was so disgusting. (laughs) And so he he made them for me on, I think it was our first date. And I said, okay, you're never cooking an egg for me again. I'm going to show you all of these great ways to enjoy eggs. And he liked them and he (laughs) ate a lot of them. So Egg Boy.
0: (laughs) So that's where Egg Boy was born. Well, you are hosting a new competition challenge on Food Network, which is super fun. Uh, Also on Discovery Plus, it's called Ben and Jerry's Flash of the cones. So you've got six ice cream masters. They've been handpicked for this opportunity to create an original Ben & Jerry's ice cream flavor of their own. Each episode, you challenge these ice cream makers to really capture the essence of a celebrity or pop culture icon into a new flavor. What was your favorite part about hosting this show? Spending time in Vermont was magical. Wow, what a
1: fantasy land. It's green and hilly and really good food is just everywhere. And then on top of that, I was getting to eat tons of ice cream every day. And then a really cool part was that one of the judges, his name is Chris, He was a flavor guru that I think that's his actual job title at Ben and Jerry's. How cool is that? Dream job. Like he develops flavors for Ben and Jerry's and he's been doing it for years. And to be able to just talk to him about how that works, about flavors that haven't worked out, about how you manipulate different flavors to taste a certain way once they're frozen into ice cream or what the consistency of a brownie has to be before it's put into the ice cream so that when the ice cream is churned and frozen, it has that tasty chewiness. Whether we were on camera or off, I was always just interrogating
0: him about the secrets of ice cream and Ben and Jerry's. (laughs) and It was really fun. How fun was it just, you know, filming at the Ben and Jerry's factory? I had
1: this completely out of body experience when I got there because when I was five, my parents took me to that exact same spot. Really? Yeah, to the Ben & Jerry's factory. And we have a family photo album from it. And we drive up there for the first day and there's this field with these cow sculptures these life-size cow sculptures in it and i drove up there and i was like oh my god i i've been here this is where i was that that's where i stood it was so crazy i couldn't believe it it was just the weirdest feeling ever because of course i didn't totally remember when i was five being there but it, it came back to me it was a weird magical feeling but it all just fit in with the whole magical vibe of of that week
0: Yeah, it does. It does seem very magical uh, just watching, you know, a little bit of it. Did you find yourself starstruck by any of the celebrities? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there was Ludacris.
1: There was Duff and Buddy. There was Kevin Bacon. Uh, It was just amazing.
0: No, It sounds like such a a, such a fun project to work on. Uh, Do you have a favorite Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavor of all time? I'm classic. I'm like chocolate
1: fudge brownie all the way. I dig out the the brownies. And then I also like a flavor that has since been discontinued called Blonde Brownie Sunday. So I would I would dig out the blondies, too. But yeah, anything with blondies or brownies.
0: Yeah, I like I like Americone Dream. I think I go for that one a lot. If you were to create your own Ben & Jerry's ice cream flavor, what what would be in it? Italian Rainbow Cookies.
1: Oh, I love that idea. (laughs) Yeah, they're almondy and soft and cakey. That is my dream ice cream flavor. I love almond and I love the colors and I love the chewiness and just, just enough chocolate and just enough fruitiness from the jam in between the layers.
0: I like that. Maybe, maybe, maybe season two, you can, uh, you can have a a little guest pay off one of the competitors to make it for me. (laughs) I love it. Well, this has been so much fun chatting. We're going to finish things off with some rapid fire questions and then one final question. So here we go on the rapid fire round music beats or vegetable beats, music beats. I don't like beats. (laughs) You don't like beats. No, that's hilarious. Favorite way to prepare eggs? matzah with salami. Uh, if you could put a fortune in a cookie, what would it say? The grass is greenest where you grow it. Favorite
1: pizza toppings? Salami and something green, like a fresh green thrown on at the end, like okay. a salad.
0: Pizza, a pizza salad. One food you hate? Bananas. Must have ingredients? Salt. Butter, olive oil, lemons—the usual. Butter or jam? Butter for sure. <laughs> and casserole or salad? You know, I'm gonna say salad. Is it a cookie salad or? <laughs> you no, know,
1: as long as there's something super like junk foody on top, like fried goat cheese salad and like some maybe some prosciutto, mm. or or just like a really good crouton or or falafel. Anything fried on top of a salad is is my ideal. I like that. It's all about balance, right? (laughs)
0: All right. Well, before we go one final question that we ask everybody uh, at the end of our conversations here on Food Network Obsessed, what would be on the menu for your perfect food day? So we're talking breakfast, lunch, dinner and dessert. Take us through the, the progression of the day. There are no rules. So you can travel, you can or you can stay in one place, somebody else can cook, whatever. There's there's no rules. I love this question. All right. So I
1: would have breakfast number one. In Chicago, in Chinatown, I would go out for dim sum with my family and I would have just all of the steamed buns mm. and dumplings and pastas. And then I would have a breakfast number two instead of lunch because I really, I, I love breakfast. I, okay. So I would then I would go to New York and I would um, go to probably Barney Greengrass or Russ and Daughters and have yes. the bagel and lox and scallion cream cheese. And a black and white cookie. And an egg okay. cream. Ugh. And then, um... um <laughs> I think my breakfast number two took up the lunch spot, which I'm okay with. That's
0: okay. I think that's I think that's fair. That's fair. We can move on to dinner. Dinner, I would probably go back to Chicago
1: and have Lou Malnati's deep dish pizza. There would be sausage and peppers and onions on it.
0: So are you a deep dish over New York style?
1: I love them both equally, but... Oh, maybe I like deep dish a little bit more. It's that nostalgic quality. I mean, you're from there. It's what I grew up with.
0: Yeah, that's fine.
1: (laughs) And then dessert. Oh, I have room for dessert. I think I would just have another slice of pizza. Okay. I think I I I would go and watch a movie. Yeah, I would go and watch a movie. And then I would come back to the kitchen. And and by this time, the pizza is like room temperature because it's been sitting out.
0: (laughs) And that's my dessert. I I mean, listen, I support a pizza for dessert any any day of the week. So I think that sounds perfect. And it's your it's your day. So it's perfect for you. Thank you so much uh, for joining us and sharing your your laughter and your your positivity and your energy. We love it so much. And it was so much fun. Thank you so much. what a ray of sunshine. You can catch Molly hosting Girl Meets Farm and the new competition show, Ben and Jerry's Clash of the Cones, both on Food Network and streaming on Discovery Plus. As always, thanks so much for listening. And please follow us wherever you listen to your so You do not miss a single thing. And of course, if you did enjoy today's episode, please, please rate and review. We always love it when you do that. That's all for now. We'll catch you foodies next Friday.